0: If you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to open it with me to the Gospel of Matthew. If you don't have a Bible, I'd encourage you to find one around you in the seats in front of you. The Gospel of Matthew can be found on page 809. At least that's the section that we'll be looking at today. Page 809 in the Black Bibles. If you're not familiar with using a Bible, I'm going to refer to chapter numbers, which is the larger bold print numbers. And then verse numbers are the smaller numbers. So today we're going to be looking at chapter 4, Verses 12 through 17 is our main text, and a few other texts I'll uh, throw up on the screen behind me throughout the service. Before I read this passage, I want to ask a simple but I think important question for all of you here. Do you believe that change is possible in your life? Like real, deep down, lasting change. Change. Do you think change can happen not only in your life, but in other people's lives, maybe in different circumstances, maybe with different educational backgrounds, socioeconomic status? Is there change available to everyone in this room? How about a whole community, a people, a tribe, a community, a nation? Maybe this is why you're here today. I think many of you are here today because you actually have been changed and you believe that you can change because you've experienced God changing your life. I'm sure that there might be others who are skeptical or curious, can God really change someone? Is it just a little add-on to our life or I'm talking about a radical, profound change? Today I want to explain from the Bible how And what that change looks like from Matthew's gospel. We're going to see how the message of Jesus changes not just individuals, but entire communities, and ultimately, the entire world. That kind of change. So what is that message of Jesus? What is the message that he proclaimed that brings that kind of change? Let's turn our Bibles to Matthew four, and follow along as I read verses 12 through 17. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee, and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea, in the territory of Zebulon in Nephtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness, have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that the way you are thinking about summarizing the message of Jesus? What I just read to you? If you were asked the question before reading this text, how would you summarize the message of Jesus in a sentence? My answer that I would hear most often is, Love your neighbor as yourself. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you? Or maybe even love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength? Did you notice it wasn't any of those answers? To summarize the message of Jesus in a sentence is what Matthew has just done for us. And he does not say anything about loving God, loving your neighbor, doing good to others. He says, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is here. It's coming. It's already here and it's continuing to come. Repent, we're going to find out in just a moment. It's this word we could use, change. To change. So I want to ask three questions for us. As the outline of this message. Why do we need to change? Secondly, what kind of change is needed or asked for here and thirdly how the all-important how do we change is this even possible if so how so first why why do we need to change answer because the kingdom of heaven is here do you see that in jesus passage repent and assuming that we can at least for the moment agree that repentance includes some sort of change. The next word, for, is a word that means because. It's a, it's a grounding. You should do this, which is namely repenting, changing, because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's, that's the answer. Change should happen in our lives because the kingdom of heaven is here. Helpful? Yes? No? Well, we got to answer a question, don't we? What is the kingdom of heaven? What does that mean? And my guess is that many of you probably aren't thinking what Jesus is talking about. Maybe even some of you that have been in church a lot of your life. What do you think of when I say kingdom of heaven? What comes into mind right now? The kingdom of heaven. What is that? If you were forced right now, write down a definition. What, What would that definition be? my general observation is that most of you would write down something to the effect of it's the place you go when you die it's a place and it's somewhere people go like spirit forms or whatever when they die that's the kingdom of heaven no that is not the kingdom of heaven that's my point that do get that out of your head Instead, you should be thinking something like this when you hear these words. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. What comes to mind when you hear these words? There's no place like home. There's no place like home. There's no place like home. What comes in, what comes in your mind? Anybody? The Wizard of Oz. Why? Why does The Wizard of Oz come to mind when I say those words, there's no place like home? Because that's like the climactic ending of that story, a very popular, well-known story. What comes to mind when you hear, Luke, I am your father. What comes to mind? Another story, doesn't it? A climactic ending of that story in a series of movies called Star Wars. Or I'm glad to be with you, Samwise Gamgee or Gamgee, I'm so bad with Lord of the Rings. (laughs) Here at the end of all things, the climactic moment in the last story of the Lord of the Rings trilogy. When you hear that phrase, an entire story starts coming to mind, and that phrase makes sense. When you hear, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, My guess is too many of you are jumping, oh, that's the place you go when you die, instead of hearing there's an entire story that this one sentence sums up as the climactic finish of that story, like there's no place like home. There's no place like home. And it puts the whole story into perspective. That's why you should change, because the words of Jesus is a no place like home kind of phrase that sums up the entire story of the Bible and brings it to its climactic finish. So what does this mean? The larger story of the kingdom of heaven. Well, let's ask the first question. If this is pointing to a greater story, where is the first place in the Bible that you hear about kingdom or reigning and ruling and heaven and earth And themes like that. Anything come to mind? Let me help you out. First passage. Then God said, let us make man in our image. That's underlined because that means to be a representative royally, like as a prince or princess I have defined in previous sermons. And these men and women made in the image of God are to do what? What? have dominion over, and then it explains the dominion that men and women have over, namely the earth and all of the creatures in the heavenlies. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, created him, and then go to the next slide, and you'll see, again, language of subduing and having dominion over the heavens and the earth. This, my friends, is page one of the Bible. This is the first part of the story, and it's all shaped in king-type language, kingdom language, you could say. So in case it's not helping, maybe this will. A picture of heaven and earth, the kingdom of God. So here, what I would like you to imagine is the stick figure person is us. That's humanity. This is male and female, made in the image of God. And why are they wearing a crown? Because in the very beginning, God made them as rulers over to have dominion, like a prince or a princess. But notice that they're under the bigger crown, God. God is the ultimate king of the the entire universe, and we as humans are to rule underneath of God's reign and rule and his kingdom on the whole face of the earth. So the first few pages of the story of the Bible is that God is king. We are his viceroys, his prince and princesses, if you would. And heaven and earth, both kingdoms are together. Do you see this? There's only one circle here because originally that was the plan. So as you just look at this picture, I just want to make sure it's very clear in all of your minds. Heaven is not a place where you go when you die. In the Bible, heaven is the reign and rule of the sovereign king. It is kingdom language. That's what heaven is about. So when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven, he's talking about the reign and rule of God. It's more like a realm or a place or a group of people that is being ruled by his reign and rule. That's where heaven is, wherever the kingdom of heaven is is wherever the reign and rule of the king is. Slide two, the next one, shows we currently do not live in a world like that. The next part of the story is that human beings chose to do what? Commit high treason, rebel against the king of the universe and say we would like to be ruling over the earth And you, God, we will reject your rule over us. And so therefore, in the very beginning, we have a story of separation. Not necessarily just spatial separation, but relational separation. So heaven is the relational rule of God's kingdom, and it's full of eternal life and goodness and love. But because sin entered into the world with rebellion, this leads to death and suffering and evil. Friends, are we doing a good job at ruling over the earth? How do we do this week as humanity at schools in Kentucky? Did we do well at ruling over the earth? How are we doing with gun control, whatever your views are on those sort of issues? It really just doesn't matter. We're not doing well, are we? We can't even get along. We can't figure it out. We don't know what to do on all kinds of issues. Pick any of them. The story of the Bible begins like this. We have rejected his reign and rule That is then the consequences humans have from the very beginning and continue to reject God's reign and rule over their life. We're not very good rulers, friends. And God, as we look at this picture right here, is it necessary for God to do anything? Would he be unjust to leave us where we are on the earth? Would there be anything wrong with that? Does he need to come rescue us and save us and get us out of the mess that we've put ourselves in as humans? I don't think so. He he doesn't need to. This could just remain for all of eternity. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. The next picture shows God's plan in the story. Israel, if you can see here, is God's plan for the world and dealing with its problem its sin problem that is more particularly its humanity problem and so we're seeing here on the left hand side the reign and rule of god is summarized with this one beautiful hebrew word that's if you're like what is that it's it's hesed and so it's a hebrew word written in english free to pronounce hesed and it means the loving kindness and goodness of god like all wrapped up in one word So I could have wrote loving, kindness, and goodness, but it wouldn't fit, okay? So I just put hesed. The hesed love of God, the holiness of God, the justice of God, all of that typifies the bright, brilliant light of God's reign and rule. In comparison to that, the nations of this world, like Egypt, Assyria, and Babylon, they rule with domineering force, with violence and evil and injustice, with slavery, This is what the nations of the world look like when God is not their king. And so God says, I'm going to choose a people. Actually, a very small people group named the nation of Israel. And he chose Abraham first, and then Isaac and Jacob, and then a big family came into this nation. And he's going to give them his law. And through obeying his law, they are going to be a kingdom of priests, which I think is our next, well, first Exodus 15 is the first time we see God as king. If you look at the very end of this passage, after God rescues Israel out of the kingdom of darkness in Egypt, you see this passage. First time the Bible talks about God as king, like explicitly. It says, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain, the place, O Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary, O Lord, which your hands have established. The Lord will do what? He will reign. That's kingdom language. First time in the Bible that you have God saying, I am going to rule in the place where my sanctuary is, where my temple is. So go back to the last slide in the picture. That's what's being communicated. Where heaven and earth overlap, it is the temple. It is where God's word is heard and obey and taught by the law in the nation of Israel to be a light to the nations. How'd they do, friends? How'd they do? Not so well. Look at Exodus 19. A couple of slides over. This is what they should have done. Obey the voice of God. Keep his covenant. And if they do so, they will be the treasured possession among all the other nations of the earth for all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom. Do you see that? What, what is Israel supposed to be? A kingdom of what? Of priests. Not just one priest in the temple, but the whole nation is to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation And these are the words that you shall speak to the people that God gave to Moses. So how'd they do? Did they obey the voice of the Lord? Did they keep his covenant? Were they a light to the nations? Did they want God's reign and rule? Guess what they said as soon as God gave those words? What did they say? Yes, God, we will do it. Everything you say, we will do. And fast forward in the story, 1 Samuel chapter 8 shows us how they did. The people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. No, there shall be a king over us, a human king that is. We do not want God as our king. We also may be like all the nations. We would like to be like all the other nations and have a human king over us. It didn't take this long for them to mess it all up, but by this point in the story, the kingdom theme is clear. God's plan through the nation of Israel was, you could say, failing. Not because of God's part, but because of the human agents involved. So how'd they do? This is what the whole Old Testament looks like. There you go. Israel looks like who? All the other nations. There are so many different ways that the prophets and the Old Testament books are trying to tell you again and again Israel just looks just like Pharaoh in Egypt, and Babylon, and Assyria. They're just as dark. They were supposed to be a set-apart kingdom of priests. But these priests are unholy, they're defiled, the temple is defiled, they're not obeying God's word, they're not reading God's word, they don't look at all like a set-apart light to the nations. They just look like all the other nations. So what is God going to do? And guess what? You already read it. Earlier in the service, Isaiah chapter 9, if you were following along, it says, There will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Now, at first read, I'm assuming many of you are like, I have no idea what that's saying. <laughs> because it's like, where's Naphtali, anybody? <laughs> Where is Zebulon? and it's just Israelite tribes. So quick, lights out. This might help. I don't want to assume any knowledge of geography, so once we get these lights out, hopefully you'll see this better. Or leave the lights on. That star right there is Israel, Jerusalem, right up there, Nate, there's like a black switch at the corner. Hit the black. Thank you, is that better? Okay, that star right there is representing Israel. Go to the next slide. Let's zoom in. So you see Africa. You see the Middle East. You see uh, Eastern Europe. So we're moving in closer. And so there's Jerusalem. This would be the capital. This is where the temple was. This is where the city of David is. And then there's Galilee, which was referenced in our passage, both Matthew and in Isaiah, and then go one more step further. For, further, There's Zebulon, right next to Nazareth. And then there's Naphtali. And then up there is Capernaum. So Jesus was here in Nazareth after he was born and spent time there. And our passage says he left Nazareth and went up to Capernaum. This is the Sea of Galilee right here. And our passage says that when Jesus made that move, you can turn the lights back on. When Jesus made that move, I, Matthew is saying, that just fulfilled Isaiah's prophecy. Isaiah chapter 9. Go back to Isaiah 9-1. 9-1. But there will be no gloom for her who is who was in anguish. So, so the nation of Israel, remember the picture previously. It's full of darkness. It's full of pain and sorrow and judgment. And God's going to judge them like all the other nations. And he's saying, but there will be a day when there will be no more gloom for her. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. So those two lands that you just saw. That was the northern kingdom of Israel. Assyria came in and wiped them out. That's what happened. That's what he's referring to. And he says that, but in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. This is key. I want you to make sure we're just getting this real quick. There's a promise right here. But... In the latter time, there's going to be a time when that land, Galilee, is going to be a light to all the other nations. It's going to bring forth light. Look at verse 2, Isaiah 9-2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them a light has shone. That's the promise that was read. And when Matthew sees Jesus move from Nazareth to Capernaum, he's saying, Prophecy is being fulfilled right here. Jesus is that great light. He's coming into the area of Galilee, and he is bringing light to the nations of Zebulon, Naphtali, and the region of Galilee. So that brings us to our next picture. Jesus, then, is the new Israel, who is the great light to the rest of the nations. This time, it's not Babylon and Assyria and Egypt, It is the Roman Empire that's now in charge. And they're the powers of darkness in the days of Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He confronts them, but very subversively, very discreetly. Jesus does it in a very surprising way. He brings grace and mercy and truth. He does not do it in the way that everybody was expecting. But he is the fullness of God's presence. He embodies all that we saw God was earlier in those pictures, the Hesed love, the covenant faithfulness. He, he literally embodies his body is the presence of God on the earth. So Jesus is the light. In him, there is no darkness. He is the lawgiver. He will be like Moses, who will be on a mountain in chapter 5 of Matthew, and he will give a sermon on the mount, and he will give his law, and he will say, but you've heard it said, but I say to you. And he's going to teach them the way to live as a light Remember one of the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount? You are salt of the earth. You are the light of the world because the movement of Jesus will bring great light into the darkness. And so the question I have for you, how? How is the message of Jesus and this kingdom of Jesus going to bring light into the world? And the answer is this next picture. It is through humble, suffering service compared to the proud, abusive force of the kingdoms of this world. They could not be more opposite from one another. So how does Jesus bring victory to the world over the forces of evil and darkness? It is not by swords. It is not by having a giant army with soldiers. Even though many of his followers said, Jesus, we will, we will die for you. We will do whatever it takes. Do you remember when Jesus was being led away to his death in one of his his disciples pulls out a sword and tries to cut a guy's ear off when the guy's trying to take Jesus to his death. Do you know what he ends up doing? Putting the guy's ear back on. you see, see how opposite? No, 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 we don't use swords. We don't use armies. We're bringing healing to the hurting. We're not fighting darkness with more darkness. Jesus does not use tanks, guns, nuclear missiles, not because they didn't exist then, because he would never use those things. Jesus does not Advance his kingdom through slavery and oppression, not by the stealing and taking and taxation of money. Jesus' kingdom is not in castles or palaces. It is not about the famous and the beautiful. It is not about having superior intellect or education. Jesus never wrote a book. Jesus was not necessarily about eloquent speeches and winning the masses with his words, he sent them away with his words. He is not about you pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. His kingdom was not about hard work and sheer determination and climbing up the ladder of success until finally he becomes the king over all the universe. He never held a political office. He did not become king because of his simple family origin only, but because of his divine origin, because he is the God-man, In other words, Jesus did not win victory over the forces of darkness and advance his kingdom by any of the ways that we do in this world. Instead, he lost his life instead of trying to save it. He won through service, through humility, by being born in a manger, being born into a family of poverty, by bowing down and washing other people's feet, by caring for the poor, by spending time with the least of these, by upholding the value and dignity of women and men, by including women in his ministry, by wearing a crown of thorns on his head, by being stripped naked, wearing a purple robe as he was mocked and exalted as king of the Jews on a cross by dying, by suffering, by taking on all of the darkness in the world, and absorbing it like a sponge on the cross. And therefore, darkness covered all the face of the earth around the death of Jesus. In the middle of the noonday, it became dark. This is how Jesus brings about change. So why should you change? Because the kingdom of heaven is here. And you will either be for it as kingdom of the light or you will be against it, and you will lose. I suggest being on the right team, my friends. My job is to announce and proclaim, get on the right team. This light will always overcome the darkness. If you are full of darkness, then you will lose, my friend. That's reason number one, question number one, why? Why should we change? Answer, because Jesus has come. The kingdom is here. And he has already achieved victory through his cross and through his resurrection, and he's now seated and reigning and ruling on his throne. Second question What kind of change is Jesus demanding when he says, repent? If we have briefly summarized, even if it didn't feel brief, it was, we have briefly summarized what it means that Jesus brought the kingdom of heaven. It means that he is now God incarnate here on the earth, bringing a great light and defeating the powers of darkness. So what kind of change is he asking for when he says and demands, repent? If you go right now and look up repent in a dictionary, did you know that you will find this definition, feeling or expressing sincere regret or remorse about wrongdoing or sin? feeling or expressing sincere regret or remorse about one's wrongdoing or sin I want to respectfully say that's partially true but it's like missing the main point it's like that's that's a part but it's not the whole Let's get the whole answer. Let's get the answer of people who would have heard the words coming out of Jesus' mouth, and they said, he said, repent. What, What would they have thought of? Would they have thought remorse and individual sorrow over my personal sins? Maybe, but probably not primarily. The word repent, if you take it in its original language, so when Jesus is having these words quoted to us, It would have been metanoia, it means to change your mind. To change your mind. Meta is the first part, which means change, and then noia, which means knowledge, to know something, to change your mind. That's what the word means. But I don't think by just looking at that word, we find the fullness of its meaning. That word is rooted in the Hebrew scripture story, right? Didn't we just say that? There's no place like home, reminds us of Wizard of Oz. Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. That reminds us of the previous story. In the previous story, the word For repent is about turning back to God and embracing God's ways for His kingdom. So, an illustration to help you understand how Jesus and His followers and people would have heard the word repent. Okay, Josephus is a guy that lived during the days of Jesus. He was a Jewish historian I'm sure that that would be a cool fun fact to tell at work this week. Guess what I learned at church? There's a guy named Josephus, and he was a Jewish historian, and he became an official worker for the emperor Titus around AD 66, and he went to Galilee, which is where we are talking about right now, Jesus being in Galilee. And he was sorting out some factions amongst Jewish people because he was a Jewish man, and he was sent to sort some things out in Galilee. So imagine Josephus, a non-Christian Jewish man after the days of Jesus' death and resurrection going into the same region Jesus was and him saying to a group of people that were trying to not only disrupt the plans of the Roman government but also kill him. So there's people trying to kill him. There's people who have an agenda out for Josephus. There's people that are with the rebellious agenda of those against the Roman Empire and he tells them Repent and believe, essentially, in me so that you would no longer be a part of this military, revolutionary way of achieving your overthrow of the Roman government. Instead, follow me. Does that sound familiar? Repent, believe in my way of, over, of, of living and, 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 and expressing yourself in the world, and, and follow my example. This, this is what I'm trying to say would have been in your mind if you would have heard Jesus, climactic, no place like home stint, sentence, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. What kind of change is Jesus asking for? Certainly some moral change internally. Certainly there might be some sorrow. But if, if immediately you hear these words, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, and you just get very individual and introspective, and it's all about you, you're, you're missing this bigger, wider massive and much more glorious story about then how you and your sins find their way into it. Jesus is calling people to repentance and more particularly he's calling the nation of Israel back to their God but by embracing Jesus instead of the Old Testament law but by embracing Jesus instead of all of the different other nations or people groups like the Zealots or the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He's saying, no, no, follow me. Embrace my way to be the ruler over the kingdoms of heaven here on the Earth. This is what Jesus is doing. In, in one sense, I think it's fair to say Jesus' message was not just religious, but it, it had very heavy political overtones. What does he say he's establishing that's here in front of them now? A what? A, a kingdom. What's a kingdom? Well, I know we're not in the UK. I know we're not from England. I know that many kingdoms don't exist and we're all democratic and the enlightenment has happened and we've moved on from many of those kind of nations. But friends, we, we, we know kingdoms are political entities. Jesus is establishing a political entity here on earth with the reign and rule of his word and his law. So the sort of message that he is giving is to have the nation of Israel first, and then ultimately all the nations, which is why I think Matthew is pointing to this passage of Jesus' move from Nazareth to Capernaum, because it says that the light is going to come to who? Look down at verse 15. The Galilee of the Gentiles. And that word is the, is, is the nations. Galilee of the nations, because at this point Galilee is mixed with both Jew and Gentile. So as Jesus is preaching this message in Galilee, it is, it is primarily for Jews, but then it has implications for Gentiles, which brings us to our third and final question. If we've understood that the kingdom of heaven is not just a place you go when you die, but it is the reign and rule of God, and that that reign and rule has come through the person of Jesus now on the earth, so you should follow his reign and rule. You should listen to the words and teachings of Jesus and center your life around them. How? How do I do that? What does that look like? And the answer I think that's quite clear is in this next slide, it's the church. Jesus has defeated the powers of darkness. He has overcome evil. He has done it by suffering, not by taking it by force. And so now he has ascended, okay? So this means that Jesus is still alive, right now, humanly. He is in a heavenly realm that we cannot see, but he's still alive. He sends the Holy Spirit after his ascension That spirit then becomes the space on earth where God's presence is known. That spirit then brings light to all of the dark nations. And so all those white dots, they represent communities, churches, people of the kingdom. The church is not the same thing as the kingdom. The kingdom is a much broader category. It is the reign and rule of God. I hope you got that. What is the kingdom? It is the reign and rule of God. So God's reign and rule extends far beyond just the church, but the church is a part of, like, let's call an embassy. Ah, embassies of heaven. And let's look at our next passage of scripture. We read this earlier in the service. Notice the way later on in Matthew, the church becomes a part of the kingdom of heaven. I will build my church. Now, by the way, Jesus said the word church recorded in scripture three times, at least the word we have for church. And he says here the first time that we have, I will build my church. And he says the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now why is that, friends? Why is it that the kingdoms of darkness will not win? Well, because he already won. Matthew was written after these things, and so we can now know as you're reading Matthew, he's already won. It's over. It's over. The victory has been accomplished. And then he says to Peter, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. So I will build my church, and I'm going to give the church the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. There is a correlation between what we do here in this church, and as we take God's word and we proclaim the gospel of Jesus, We are entering people into the kingdom as they hear the message and they respond. Or as they reject it, they are being removed out. Sometimes even people come into the church and they spend time and say they're Christian. And then in Matthew 18, we find the other two times Jesus uses the word church. He says sometimes people are going to be so unrepentant, so unwilling to change, so hard-hearted that you need to remove them from your church. And that is exercising the keys. What do keys do? They, they lock doors. So, so if you have keys in your pocket for your car, it means that you have authority to go in and out and let anyone else go in and out of that car. It's up to you. Jesus is saying, I am giving the keys of the kingdom to the people on the earth. And, and one way to put the whole story together is to say, do you remember back in the very first slide, we had humans as rulers over the earth? Well, well guess what? restored, Holy spirit refilled humans, renewed from the inside-out humans, will now be in charge of the kingdom of heaven on the earth through churches. And that's why we have named ourselves an embassy. We are an embassy of heaven. What, what is an embassy? An embassy, by definition, is a political entity. It, it is a body of persons entrusted with a mission to fulfill while living in a foreign governmental land. Does that sound like the church? A body of people that are entrusted with a mission that they fulfill while living in a foreign land. What's the foreign land that we are living in right now? It's called the earth ruled by the kingdoms of darkness. All of them. All of them have darkness in them. Every government on the face of the earth for the history of humanity, has had darkness in it. Is the American government perfect? That's when you start laughing. No, no. Do we pray for? Are we still citizens of these different nations and have this dual citizenship role? Yes, we do. But primarily, our allegiance and our eternal kingdom is the kingdom of heaven. And so that's why we call ourselves an embassy. It's to remind you of what Our purpose here is on the earth to bring light to the world into a dark place and to not give our total and final allegiance to the nation that we're under in the foreign land that we live in. We are in the world, yes, but we are ultimately not of this world. We are not from this world because we believe that the Holy Spirit was in that picture, right? The Holy Spirit is the change agent that Jesus unleashes through his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. And as he reigns and rules in heaven now, he unleashes his spirit all over the face of the earth to all the different nations. Think of the way Matthew's gospel ends in Matthew 28, for those of you familiar. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, because a great light has come to the nations, our passage says. And because it is through the light of the church, through disciple-making in churches, this will bring light to all the nations around the world. So what does this look like when we have God's Spirit on us and we repent today? In the first century, it would have looked like, stop thinking that government rule and reign through swords and war and victory through battles. Repent of that. No, turn away from those agendas. Stop whatever plan you had to try and bring in God's kingdom and advance God's kingdom. Follow the way and the path of Jesus, which is going to be a much different path, a path of humility and turning the other cheek and pursuing purity and generosity and prayer where you don't get praise or approval or basically read the Sermon on the Mount. What other ways does it look like? What do people expect today will bring them salvation? Like, let's get real for a moment, to use a modern phrase. What does it look like for many people to expect salvation to come to this world? What are they hoping in? How many of us, is it consumerism? How many of us, is it the things that we purchase, the things we buy, the, the material possessions you surround yourself with? Repent! That's, that's not it. That's the wrong kingdom. You you will not find life in the things that you own they are wasting away, Jesus is going to say in the Sermon on the Mount. The values of the kingdom are going to say, those things are like rust in a few years. Your nice car that you love, just fast forward 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, it's going to be in some sort of backwoods junkyard. It's rust. Why are you going to make your life around certain material possessions or money? How about the idea that being strong and beautiful and externally looking a certain way is the way to find salvation in this world. Anyone in here say, I struggle with that? Any of you just consumed by it? The Holy Spirit can bring change if you would first admit that that's a problem and that needs changed. Being consumed with external appearances is not the kingdom of this world. Uh, Is not the kingdom of heaven. It is the kingdoms of these worlds. Think of the very king that God first chose. It was a small little runt boy named David. And in that very passage of how God chose a king, it was to show, show that, no, no, you guys want to choose big, tall, giant men like Saul. Big warrior type guys. I'm going to choose a little boy that nobody would think would be the king. Jesus will be the king. Somebody that's ugly, as far as we can tell, based on Psalm 53, he was rejected. Nothing beautiful to look at. If you see pictures of Jesus and he's blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and looks like he just got a perm or something, like, no. No, that's, that's probably not what Jesus looked like. He probably looked like a, a Middle Eastern man with nothing that you would be like, oh, wow, I want to follow that guy. What is our communities hoping in right now for their salvation? Government projects? How about more education? How many times have you believed, or have people in the world believed, if we could just only educate people more, then our problems would be solved? What, what these children need, what the teenagers need. If there's problems, well we just need to educate them better on, on sounder principles. Teach them better rules. Instruct them in better living. Create better policies and government structures friend if this is you. Jesus is calling you to repent. This will not bring salvation. This will not ch- transform this community. It it could help. It could be a small common grace. God could use it in his broader sense of his reign and rule to take some government system and do great good out of it. I'm I'm not denying that whatsoever. I'm saying that if you're looking for lasting change, you need to admit that the, the ways and the kingdoms of this world they're empty. They fall short. They do not work. It's a repeating story that happens again and again throughout history. Read some history. This is what happens. Would anybody say that Hitler and Germany needed more education? Education is not the solution. It's a good thing. It's not the solution to advance the purposes and goodness of God throughout the world. And so, my friends... We as a church at Embassy should be people who are dependent on God's spirit to change us. That's how it happens. God does it through his word, through the preaching and proclaiming of the good news of the gospel, about his great love for you. And he softens and changes your heart to realize, oh my, I am headed in all the wrong directions in my life. So how many of you would admit in your own reflection this morning that there are many ways that the darkness of this world has crept into your heart and life? Can you think of any? If you'd like to think about more of them, just keep coming to this church. We're going to just hit on this Sermon on the Mount for months, literally months, and take different areas of the ethics of Jesus' kingdom in Matthew. He's going to keep just hammering away at ways that darkness is all over this earth, and he's going to give a different way for us to follow him. do you believe that there's change possible? If you believe that Jesus has, in fact, defeated evil and that his spirit is sent into the earth, into people's lives, and that we are a room mostly full of people who have shared and professed testimony that I once was this way and it was full of all kinds of darkness. Last week, did we not hear two testimonies of people who got baptized and said, this is what I used to live like. I then heard the message of Jesus. God's spirit came in my life, and now I understand that it is about God's grace, and his love has captured and transformed me. That was just last week. This is why we exist as a church, is to share this message and help people know that true change can happen through the power of the God's spirit on the earth through communities who work together as a community project called Embassies of Heaven. It just so happens we call ourselves Embassy Church in Palatine. Churches today are seen as successful if they have lots of money, lots of people, big buildings like castles, popular and powerful pastors or board members who go around and travel the country and world, big fat pockets, cool cars. This is what we get enamored with. In the church. Do you see how the the darkness of the world has crept in even to our very churches? We could go on, but let's hear Jesus' message with fresh ears. He has won. This is the end of the story. There's no place like home. It's over. He, he has come. He has conquered. And when he announces this, he is announcing God's reign and rule in his body and in his person. And his death on a cross, his resurrection from the dead, his ascension to the right hand of the Father, as reigning and ruling in heaven right now is the vindication is the reason why you should repent and follow him. There will be no other option if you choose not to, like it's either you're with him or you're against him. A kingdom of the darkness or you're spreading the light through the power of the spirit. Let's pray together. Our father